A few months ago, my sister Dap and two of her kids flew into Atlanta to surprise my parents. How y'all good looking people doing? I'm recording you, give me a hug, boy. <laughs> I put my seventh grade niece, Jory, in charge of the microphone. So here's the headphones, put the headphones on. Jory's brother, my nephew Max, is a typical high school freshman. I can gain about 20 pounds in a whole week off, you know what I'm saying? 20 pounds! <laughs> when you haven't been around your siblings in a while, it's like teleport back to your childhood. Give me a break, I sure deserve it. I finally made it to the top. My sister Dap, give her a little bit of space, and it's like, boom, she's gone with it. Just looking out of the window, watching the asphalt grow. Seems like it all looks dead and dry. I'm not gonna lie, I joined in. These are the people I care about the most in the world. Ain't we lucky we got Loving your family means you get to have fun with them. But also, you have to comfort them when things get rough. You got to listen to their experiences, even when they're painful. My nephew Maxwell is in high school, and his school is in a wealthy neighborhood. And earlier this year, something happened to him at school. You know the type of school I'm at, you know, I can't be how I am around you and my mother and other um, brown colleagues, I'm saying like that. The school is a predominantly white school in a very affluent neighborhood. And so my nephew was at lunch sitting at the table and he was told to sit up. Now, being told to sit up isn't the issue, but he was at a table where he was the only black student at the table, but he wasn't the only student with, quote unquote, bad posture, but he was the only one called out. See, before my nephew had been in these positions with other black kids, but at this school, he's one of the few black kids, and now he has to face that discrimination on his own. My question is, at the school you at, do you feel like you belong at that school? Uh, most definitely not. Did you hear that? Most definitely not. I'm just there, you know, to get my work and excel in my sports. Strictly, that's it. Belonging. That's what this podcast is about. And how teachers can and must make every child feel like they belong at school. Where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. I didn't tell my parents ahead of time that they were coming, of course, because I wanted it to be a surprise. But my mom and dad don't play by creeping up to their house at nighttime, so we had to be careful. You don't know how to get in? Now it's 12 o'clock in the morning. Another one of my sisters wakes my parents up and tells them to come downstairs because she heard someone outside. My daddy was ready to fight. Got my knife in my pocket and everything. Those shrieks you hear are coming from my mama. No one's doing anything to her. She just happy. So now you gotta I'm Erica Young, an educator from Eatonville, Florida. Last year at this time, I was still teaching. This is a video of me in my classroom. 
what happens if someone doesn't identify as a single gender person? They should like pick where they want to go yeah, and where they, they feel most comfortable in. Every morning I met with a group of 12 young ladies. They were my crew. And we talked about things that were going on in the world and things that were going on at school. How do you advocate? How do you stand up for someone who is different than you? I feel like you just have to show other people that it's not as different as they probably think. I tried to create spaces where students felt like they belonged. I wasn't always successful, but that was the goal. Listening to you talk reminds me that we are more alike than we are unalike. I also ran the bucket drumming crew and the step team. John Lewis, Asa Philip Randolph, James Farmer Jr., Winnie Young Jr., Roy Wilkins, Ella Baker. But after a decade in the classroom, I needed a change. I wanted to teach in a different way by telling stories. This podcast is a part of that. You hear that? I learned those steps from my hometown, for real. I learned them from Eatonville, Florida. It's the oldest Black incorporated town in America. Founded for Black people, by Black people. If you don't know about Eatonville, look it up. Everybody knew everybody, so you kind of trusted everybody. I grew up in Eatonville, and my mom grew up in Eatonville. Eatonville, Florida has its own stores, town council. It has its own churches and it has its own schools. In Eatonville, the teachers wanted you to get your lesson. They wanted you to get your work done. They wanted you to be successful. The year my mother was born, 1954, the Supreme Court made a big decision. Brown versus the Board of Education overturned separate but equal, basically saying that schools should be integrated. When the integration came, I was in the eighth grade. They told us the next year we would be going to Lockhart, middle school at the time. My mom was 13 when she had to leave her all-black school to go to a newly integrated school. When I first got on the bus, we were all afraid. It, 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 it terrified me. I didn't really want to be there because I was used to where I was in my community going to school. And, you know, I, I, I never asked any questions in school. I just how terrified I was. And I was talking to my sister about it. She said, you know what? I never asked any questions neither. My mom was ripped away from her safety zone and placed into an integrated school where she was terrified to ask questions. She is one of the smartest people I know, a math genius. I have never seen anyone compute numbers as fast as her. But she doesn't give herself any credit for this. After integration, school was not a place where my mom felt like she belonged. And that has stayed with her her entire life. Just think how far I would have gone if I went to college and got my education. She wanted more, and she deserved more. But who's responsible for giving that to her? Whose job is it to deliver a sense of belonging? Can you tell me about yourself and, like, tell me about your life? I think it's interesting to note that as a Southern person, I do have, I can't remember if it's a great-grandfather, I think it's a great-great-grandfather, in a cemetery in Atlanta with a KKK headstone. This is someone I used to work with at school. Her classroom was right down the hall from mine. A lot of people think they're prepared for this huge job of teaching, but the truth is we all bring our baggage with us. I remember coming home 
from church kindergarten one day to teach mom this new rhyme and hand game that I had learned, any, many, money, mo. But the person who taught it to me taught it to me with the N-word instead of tiger by the toe. And I was so happy that I had learned this hand game. I came home and I was going to teach it to my mom. And that word came out of my mouth when she said, no, 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 we don't use that word in this house. And so that's how I was raised. I wanted to talk to my colleague because of something she said back when I was still teaching. It happened around Christmas. My colleague was in the hallway working on some bulletin boards. Now, these weren't any bulletin boards. These were a big deal at our school. And while she was getting the bulletin boards ready, some seventh grade boys who were black started messing around right by those boards. It was a moment of truly great stress. And I just shouted out, get your cotton picking bodies off of those boards and away from him. One young man turned around and said, that sounds racist. In the moment, what I heard was, you are a racist. I reacted and I flew off the handle at that young man and told him that by no means was what I said racist. It was not intended that way. And uh, that if he took it that way, that was his problem. And this is not something I'm proud of. To this day, that eats me alive. So cotton picking, talk about it with me. Where did the phrase cotton picking come from? This was a phrase that my mother used with me. It was a phrase I had used with my kids. Of all the things that we were told we could not say as kids or refer to or anything else, that was not um, one of the things that we were not allowed to say. And I think that a lot of the reason for that was, as I said before, my mom was raised on a farm of subsistence farmers. They actually grew cotton and they picked their own cotton. Mom picked cotton uh, as she was growing up in the um, in the fifties on her grandparents. She was raised by her grandparents, so it was never something that I actually took the time to think about the roots of the saying. Who introduced you to the fact that what you said was problematic? It was my principal. She said, "Though your mom picked cotton." It wasn't because she had been enslaved, and it wasn't because they were being made to do it for someone else's gain. That was like the eye-opening moment for me. It had never occurred to me, even as a history teacher, that this phrase that I had grown up hearing, that I never thought about, literally the roots of where it had come from. A lot of teachers think they're up for the job, but so many of us still have a long way to go. I'm going to talk to my colleague again because there's more we have to reckon with. 
I told you, there's an important reason why we're doing this podcast. Because of teachers like this who think they're doing okay. Talking to all these people, my colleague, my mom, it made me remember a story my niece told me. She said, Auntie, my teacher tried to whitewash me today. I laughed because I'm like, this kid is in middle school. There is no way that she is that woke. And I said, what you mean, whitewash you? She told me that her teacher was talking about independence and freedom in America. Keep in mind, in some of her classes, she's the only black person in the class. So I called her because I wanted her to tell her story again to make sure that I got it right. At first, I was going to a K-8 school, but now going to this middle school, it's predominantly white. It's kind of uncomfy. You told me one day in the car, you were like, Auntie, my teacher tried to whitewash me. Did you tell her she tried to whitewash you or you were just sharing that with me? What had happened was we were sitting in class because she was talking about how celebrate the 4th of July and that that's when we got our independence where we were free and that we weren't under Britain or something like that anymore and then I was like where's the rest of it where's the rest she's not telling the full story how we were not free we were we were not free you were still trading us around like some damn coins I I get it and I laugh because you telling the truth let me ask you this what should she as a teacher what is she responsible to do She's supposed to educate the truth. I'm the only black person in class. One time, the teacher, she had this boy choose who he wanted to be for the cabinet, right? And so he called on all the boys, and then he called girls. My thing is, he called on every white girl first name than he would ever call on me. And I was like, damn, like, that's how you really feel? I mean, I could care less, but come on now. Do you see me? I'm wondering, wait a minute, what does that do to my niece's identity and her feeling of belonging? And is she comfortable getting her education? And that makes me say, oh, hell no. That makes me say, no, something got to change. We got to talk to these folks and they got to get this together because you don't mean to be racist, but you racist. I almost cried out of embarrassment, but, you know, I can't be crying in that class. But see, niece, there it goes again. You 12 years old, you had a right to feel an emotion but you have to do what black women and black people do all the time we hold back our feelings and then we don't develop mm-hmm. emotionally because we don't really let our feelings out you know because then you the angry black person or you a, a cry baby i could feel my eyes tearing up i'm like don't do this right now well what did the teacher say nothing all she did was tell him just pick anybody i got secretary of labor that just sounds racist <laughs> Secretary of Labor, what? Slave labor? Like, you know, that's where I go with it. You know what I mean? It was like, just. And I'm not going to lie, I'm going to switch because I'm getting upset and I'm getting emotional. It hurts my heart. I can't lie. It just hurts my heart. I'm sorry, Auntie. No, it's okay. I just think that it's unfair that my mama went through it and me and your mama went through it. And like, it's 2021 and people are still doing that and you don't deserve it and your tears don't get to be shed like other kids get to share their tears 
it really upsets me. But I'm I'm right here. I'm right here. You never go carry that alone. We'll never get equal rights. We're always surviving no matter what. There's no break. Auntie, even if you try to carry it on your back, still not carrying it. Because we don't get equal rights. We never will. And if we have to survive, what we've been doing, survive. Yeah, but the hard part is I want you to do more than survive. I want you to thrive. That experience is going to stay with Joy forever. And the thing that gets me is, it seems like the teacher doesn't even know that something happened. But that's why we're here. So we can start to notice these slights, these small things that accumulate. Joy's brother, Max, he's 15. He's at the age where all he wants to do is drive. So when they were visiting, he was like, who's going to take me driving? And the room fell silent. Like, (laughs) you could hear a pin drop. So I took it upon myself. You know, I'm the youngest auntie. I'll take him driving. All right. Don't just take off. Go ahead and adjust your seat. So we start driving down a long, empty road. No one's there. There's no obstructions on the road. Can you see out of your rear views? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now look where the car is going. We practice backing up. We practice going five miles an hour, 10 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour. And Maxwell, he's, he's doing pretty good. The next step is to go into the neighborhood where there are people, houses, and cars. There's one thing you got to look out for when you're driving. Mm-hmm. It's called blind spots. You know what a blind spot is? Yeah. Okay. Like blind the football, the side you can't see. The side you can't see. But you're still responsible for it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So once we're here, you're here. When you start teaching, you don't get the 10 and the 15 miles an hour. Nope. You hop right in on the highway. You're going 65 miles an hour, and you are addressing benchmarks, and you're doing your best with behavior, and you're trying to keep up with all the norms in education. You don't have that moment to become comfortable with what it is to be a teacher. You're moving fast, and sometimes you're running right into stuff. Make sure everything is okay in front of you, and quickly look, right? Quickly look. It's the teacher's responsibility to make sure that every student is included. To do that, they've got to constantly be thinking about their biases and whether they're making students feel left out, even if they don't mean to. That's the purpose of this podcast. We'll talk to teachers and parents and students. We'll laugh. We'll cry. But most of all, we will learn. Thanks for listening to Belonging. The producers for the show are Bill Healy, Katie Schneider-Gumaran, and Rosa Gaia. Original music, audio engineering, and sound mixing for Belonging are by Sean Brennan. The music in this episode is based on a song called You Forgot by Javi Polanco. Special thanks to Kate Cahan for editing assistance. Until next time, this is Erica Young. <laughs>